Hey everybody, hey, hey, hey everybody, how you doing? This is your man, Jason Miles of Real Estate 360 and Bold Real Estate and several others, but we won't get into that right now. Um, listen, as always, you know, we're going to do a little real estate talk here today. And uh, if you want to join in, by all means, just join in. Ask questions, comments, concerns, whatever it is you want to do. I like the dialogue, okay? Uh, and I like to hear other people's perspective on the things they're going through, the things they're experiencing in this uh, real estate world and all things associated with it. So today I just wanted to have a little conversation about, you know, what's going on in the market, things that we're seeing out there today and, and where we're going in the next year, two years, three years, five years, and so on. Because there's a lot of changes that are going on. There's, there are, there are things that are occurring in the market that most people are simply not aware of, and a lot of people feel as though they are good things, right? And sure, for the short term, it may seem very, very good, but for the long term, it's a, it's an absolutely horrible thing that uh, that we're that we're seeing that we're dealing with, and. Um, Unfortunately, everyone looks at it, you know, with with greedy eyes, right? It's all about what's happening right now. It has nothing to do with what's, you know, no one's thinking about what's happening in five years or 10 years or 20 years for that matter. When real estate, as we know, it will be completely different. We'll be living in a world uh, by then where it will be probably 70 to 85 percent dominated by the rental market because the average person one won't be able to afford to buy a home and two really won't want to right because of the affordability because of a lot of different things and why is that today why why do i think that that's where we're going to be in 10 or 20 years well it has everything to do with the institutional buyers that are out there right now outbidding everybody for real estate you know, we're in a market right now, in an economic cycle, I should say, where, you know, used cars have gone up over 40%. You know, I mean, that's just absurd. Uh, it, uh, inflation is at uh, about a 7.5% clip right now. Food cost is up 7%. You know, housing obviously has gone up tremendously. I think the same, you know, somewhere around 40%. But that's not over a 12 month period of time that's you know over um gosh i don't know probably uh the last five years maybe six years you know energy prices are at an all-time high gasoline is you know 40 percent higher than it was before i mean i know it's lower than it is in a lot of places around the world but you know we're not around the world we're here we're in america we're in the united states and we know what we're comfortable paying, we know what we're how we're comfortable in moving. You know, with all of those increased values, the average employee only got last year a three percent raise. Three percent. It's not enough to keep up with the inflation. It's not enough to keep up with the cost of goods and services. It's just not. You know, it's just not. So when we look at the the average house, and I don't know where you guys are listening from today, but the average home in America right now is at about $355,000, $360,000. And that is projected to go up by year's end to $394,000. It's incredible. 
you know, what, what, um, what's going on. And they tell you the average American makes about $60,000 a year. The old school rule of thumb is that you should be able to afford, you know, five times what you make on an annual basis. So if you believe that the average American makes $60,000 a year, that's a $300,000 house, right? That's a $300,000 house. How do we make up for the other 94% or $94,000 or the other, you know, what is that? Another 15%, right? That's a huge, huge uh, increase in value that the, the, and the only way that that's going to be able to be overcome is if the banking system makes it easier for people to buy real estate. But then we see what happens when that happens, right? We saw what happens in 2008 when the banking system, it wasn't just in 2008. We just, that was just the culmination of all of the bad choices that the banking industry had made over a good number of years to that point. But all those bad decisions led to what happened in 2008 when they made it super, super easy for everyone to buy a house. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't own homes. That's, I'm not even implying that. What I am saying though, is people should be able to buy a home that they can actually afford and not be fit into a program that makes their payment easier to make, right? It's just like automobiles. You shouldn't buy an automobile based on payment. You need to buy it based on its price. It's the same with a house. You want to buy it based on its value, on its real price. But with these institutional investors coming into the market right now and saying, hey, we're going to buy up everything and we're going to rent everything out and we're going to hold it for as long as possible. At some point, they're going to have to sell it, you know, I mean, not necessarily, but they're not going to necessarily want to keep, keep the house up after about 10 years, right? They're, not, they're just not going to want to do that. You know, investment strategies could change, but those houses that will come onto the market will be, you know, fixer uppers that your average American is going to have to buy and fix and make it home, right? But it affects us in a great way right now, again, because of the cost of homes is being pushed up, is being pushed up. We've witnessed um, organizations like Zillow, for instance. I mean, there are others, you know, there's Open Door, there are other hedge funds, there's a lot of different kind of hedge funds out there. But we, we're talking about billions of dollars that are buying up assets. You know, these companies with huge, huge pockets are buying up these assets and they're paying way too much for it. You know, I can give you plenty of examples, but I'll give you one. You know, one of my colleagues just sold a house in a neighborhood that should be worth about 260,000 right now. We've sold homes over the past couple of years in that neighborhood. In fact, on that block, anywhere from 240 to 260,000. Well, an organization of hedge fund came in and paid him $330,000 for that house. Now, as an investor, I look at that and I say, whew, we've got, we've got great comps now in the neighborhood. We've got a comp that's $330,000. We can use that to increase the values for other projects that we do. And yes, we can. And yes, we do. But it's not real. None of it is really real, but it's so, it's so inflated by those acquisitions. I mean, people used to go to jail for these kinds of things. They, they call it market making. You know, some of the blockbuster laws, right? You can look that up, but you know, when you go into a neighborhood and you overpay for homes intentionally, you know, with, with the intention to create a value, a false value, you know, that would be illegal for most people. But when you have 
institutional investors and all these big publicly traded uh, uh, companies doing it, no one's going to get in their way because it's billions of dollars in revenues being transferred on a consistent basis. I mean, it's it's absurd. I, I can't even begin to tell you how how ridiculous the greed is, you know, but your average investor is just getting pushed out of these deals, right? They're, they're bidding on properties, but homeowners that we would generally market to, you know, they're, they're being bombarded with, you know, ads from, you know, Zillow and Open Door and, and companies like that and saying, hey, listen, we'll pay you top dollar for your house. You know, and by this point, you know, the word's gotten out. These, home, these homeowners that want out, regardless of the condition of their home, you know, these homeowners that want out for one reason or another are saying, hey, I'm going to take all that I can get for this house. I'm ready. You know, I'm ready. And that's exactly what's occurring. It's literally what's occurring. So when an investor comes in and I'm going to break down, you know, a number for you here in a second. But when in a typical small investor and I'm a small investor, right? Small is a relative thing, though. I can tell you that I can say that I'm small because I'm not throwing around you know, a billion dollars this year to acquire real estate or nothing that even looks like that. So, you know, when, when these guys come and say, all right, I'm going to, I've got, you know, we've got a billion dollars to put out there, you know, this year we've raised the money, you know, off of wall street from other institutions, from other uh, smaller investors, you know, your mom and pop cash investors that have careers and a, and a 401k and, and an IRA, that isn't really doing anything for them right now. So they say, okay, I'll take that and I'll put it over here. These hedge funds and these big institutions, they can afford to pay you know, or, or get receive a 5 or a 6% uh, annual gain on their money. Those little guys, there's no way we can do that until you hit a certain financial mark. And at that point, you know, a 5 or 6 I mean, if you've got $10 million in real estate, right? It's not actual cash, but $10 million in real estate that is producing 5 or 6% a year for you, you can live a pretty good life as an individual investor, right? It's five, dollars $600,000 a year before taxes. You can live a pretty decent life, no question about it. But uh, for everyone that's trying to get there, if you've got $100,000 that you're putting to work, $100,000, depending on how you're investing in real estate, but in a more of a traditional sense, is equivalent to a half a million dollars in real estate, right? It's about 20%. But so if you're making, you know, 5% on a half a million dollars, you know, we're talking about, you know, $25,000 a year. You cannot live off of that. It's impossible for you to live off of that. So, so you, the point I'm trying to make is you need greater returns as a smaller investor. So it, it, when, when we're looking at these situations and we're trying to build our portfolios and we're, we're gathering and gaining more experience and we're trying to figure it out, how do we beat these hedge funds to the punch? How do we get in front of the owners before they do? How do we make offers that make sense to the homeowners so that we can go on and do what we want to do? And if you're a little bit larger in terms of you're, you're buying bigger deals, you know, on the multifamily side, how do we get into those, you know, 30-unit, 40-unit, 60-unit apartment buildings without spending $3 million in secondary markets. I mean, because you have to compete with hedge funds. It's really, really tough. It's, it's really tough. So you have to be first in line. You have to 
really have your paperwork in order and, and you have to move quickly. It's, it's, I mean, it's a must that you move quickly. So you have to be ready before you're ready, if that makes sense. You got to know, okay, if you're raising your own private capital to take down this property, you've got to be raising the capital before the property is even in the picture. You know, a lot of people say do it the other way around, get the property, raise the money. But by doing it like that, you're taking a risk of losing that opportunity and potentially even losing whatever earnest money you've put down, definitely whatever whatever capital you've invested in that property, you know, in appraisals and in, in various reports that you need to get in inspections. You know, you could, those are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just there that you could lose while you're trying to raise money in the market that we're in today. So on a smaller level, if you're just a single family investor and you're looking to wholesale or do a fix and flip, if you know, we've already watched profit margins shrink, right? Typically uh, a flip, a flipper, a house flipper would make, you know, about 14, maybe 15%, uh, sometimes a little bit more, but on average, well, on the lower side, it's not even average on the lower side, let's just say about, 14 to 15% of the retail value would be their profit, right? Now that number is cut in half. So you have, we've got people that we work with, again, I'm in Atlanta. We've got people that we work with here that would do, you know, a hundred flips, 150 flips a year that are doing, you know, 50 or 60 of them right now, simply because of the cash that has to go into a deal and the, profit that, that they get back from the deal. And they're doing that not just to make money, but they're doing it to make sure that their people stay employed. And, but that's, that's also a double, a double edged sword, right? If you, if you can't keep your people working, they're going to go try to find work somewhere else. And if you, if you've put together a cohesive team, you know how to work together. You have processes, all your systems are in place. You know, the contractors know what they're supposed to do, when they're supposed to do it, how they're supposed to do it. When you start to disband that or break that down, it's very difficult to put that back together. You can, of course, but it just takes time. But it's not time you have when you've got a machine that's doing a hundred houses a year. And I'm talking about full renovations. So you've got to be willing to earn half the money, sometimes less than you would have in previous situations, previous market conditions, that is, than what you're doing now, right? You have to be willing to take that take those uh, shorts and live a little bit, you know, below your means, if you will, you know, if you will, but it's important, but it all boils down to marketing. Okay. If you want to get in there first, you've got to be able to market equally as effective as the big boys. Now you have to remember the big boys are on television. They're on social media ads. You know, uh, some of them are doing cold calling, uh, they're definitely doing direct mail. I mean, they're doing everything that the little guy is doing. Well, most things, right? Some of the, the institutions aren't doing SMS texting and cold calling. They're just not. You know, they're going at it a completely different way because to them, you know, it's more efficient to do that. And that's understandable. So for us, we have to be in the market in every way, shape, or form. We have to market like they do. Now, we've been, in my company, been marketing, utilizing social media for the past several years uh, to market for real estate. You know, we have email campaigns that we put together uh, when I, and, and even on the social media stuff. I mean, it's not, 
it's not just having a commercial playing in your market, right? Which is, by the way, a lot better than trying to put one on television. It's a lot more cost effective. You'll get more leads. They'll be more uh, pointed and directed. So uh, from a cost effective standpoint, it's definitely better to go there. But it's not just running a 30 or a 60 second or a two minute commercial. You have to be able to collect the data, put the data to use, and then reuse it in another marketing method, right? So we'll get a list, we will skip trace that list, and then we will re-skip trace that list, right? To make sure that we're getting as much information as possible. Then we have cold callers that will just call constantly. You know, we've got uh, four or five of them that that's just all they do is call. And then we have a few um, uh, appointment setters and, you know, acquisitions management people that handle all that stuff for us. So we have a list that comes in of people that say, hey, I'm willing to at least sit down with you and see what your offer is and just go from there. But it's not just the cold calling and the texting. It's, it's again, it's the social media. It's messaging those people. If we have their telephone number, their address, their email address, you know, their name, the city they live in, you know, we are in a great situation to target that person on social media platforms. And we utilize that to get the best deals. There are other things that we do as well. When there are people that have, you know, what we call multiple pain points, meaning, you know, maybe they've had this property for the past 20 years, 25 years, you know, they might be tired of it. Um, maybe they're a tired landlord, they'll pull up, they'll show up on different lists throughout time. And then once I have someone, we call it list stacking. Once I have someone that's on multiple lists, we'll do a direct mail campaign to those people, right? It saves us money. We're going directly at, instead of sending 10,000 direct mail flyers out every month and getting, you know, maybe 300 telephone calls on that 10,000 and maybe closing 20 deals on that, you're still profitable, but your conversion rate is going to be much higher when you can look, because I can look into my CRM and I can say, okay, here are 300 people right now that have multiple pain points. I'm going to direct mail straight to them. We're going to create a campaign to speak just to them, messaging just for them. And we're going to call them. We're going to text them. We're going to mail. And those are the deals. Those are the people that we get the vast majority of our deals from. You know, we're doing a deal right now where we're buying a property from uh, a family that had this house since 1989 you know they lived in there they got married in 88 they built the house moved in in 1989 um, raised their family moved on leased optioned the house to someone else who just destroyed the house and walked away from it and to them it's just a lost cause they, i mean they literally were considering just pushing it over and selling the land right until they got a call from us and you know we're buying that piece of property uh you wouldn't believe it if I told you, but we're, we're buying that piece of property for $122,000. It does need a lot of work. We'll probably have to put about 150 into it, but we can retail it right now in the market that we're in for $500,000 all day long. Now, those deals don't come around every day. They do not come around. And we'll probably do two or three of those kind of deals a year, right? It's definitely not a typical 
deal that we do. So I, I don't say that to be braggadocious. I say that they're out there. But I'm, the point that I'm trying, the greater point that I'm trying to make is that it was our marketing efforts that found this person. It's how you market. It is not enough just to send out, you know, a bunch of flyers once, once a month, right? And if you want to chime in, please, if you have a question or, or you want to say something, you know, just want to, you don't, you don't agree with me, please, by all means, just chime in. Let's have a conversation because these are real concerns that people need to be paying attention to. If you're in the real estate space, you know, this business is going to absolutely look a lot different in five years. And five years after that, it'll be, you know, virtually unrecognizable to the people that have been doing it for a while. And 10 years after that, I don't know what it's going to look like. You know, I mean, the way we're going, we will absolutely look like a socialist uh, economy as it relates to real estate. Not counting everything else, I'm just talking about real estate. It'll be owned by few and rented by many. <laughs> so uh, home ownership will go down. All all that stuff that they talk about, you know, that they have talked about over the past hundred years. Let's say the 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 American dream. Get your your the cornerstone to the American dream is home ownership. That's going to be gone. It's it's going to be gone with homes costing what it is. And when you just look at the numbers, and again, if you were listening to me earlier, the rule of thumb is that a, you'll pay five times more than your annual income to purchase a house. So if, if what they're telling us is true and that the average American makes $60,000 a year, that means that they can afford a $300,000 house. Not a $355,000 house, definitely not a $394,000 house, but that's exactly where we are and where it's expected to be by the end of the year. The only way that they're going to be able to make that up is to manipulate um, financing options for people. But again, they're going to be buying homes that they technically cannot afford. They can't afford it. So we're not going to see home ownership on the rise. We're gonna see home ownership on the decline, more rentals, more rentals, more rentals. And as investors, you have to be, you have to pay attention. You have to be present of mind today to see where you're going in the future, right? Now, there's no guarantee that any of what I'm telling you is true. I'm just going off of cues that I've seen throughout history, not just in America, but in other Western civilizations that had central banking systems similar to ours and that had economic economic shifts from time to time okay all over europe this has happened okay all over europe all over europe canada um, you know it's, it stands to reason that it would happen here at some point and i do believe that we're at the precipice you know it's not going to happen today but it will happen in the relative near future and as investors we need to prepare ourselves for that so how do we prepare for that well, right now we get really good at marketing. We get really good at marketing so that we can get in front of those people that are going to be selling their homes in the near future, right? And then what do we do with those homes? Well, some of them you need to sell so you can have liquidity. Some of them you need to hold so you can create cash flow. You know, I call it mailbox money. You need to have cash flow. Cash flow is king. The, ca the capital is nothing. Having money in the bank is nothing. It's in the bank. If there's anything that, that you've gleaned from this conversation that we had is this. 
If you've got $100,000 in the bank, right now, inflation, overall inflation is at 7.5%. That means if you had $100,000 in the bank a year ago, right, six months ago, let's just say a year ago, it's in the bank, right? It is right now only worth $92,500. That's it. That's all it's worth. And I'm not adding in the increased cost of food, the increased cost of gas. God forbid you need to buy a new vehicle or a new house right now, right? And if you're self-employed, uh, the, you know, the raises that, you know, they don't really matter. If you're self-employed or you own a business, you know, you're going to raise your prices accordingly. So, you know, getting a raise is irrelevant. But if you if you are someone that's working, that 3% raise means nothing. We're looking at rental increases nationwide going up double digit percentages, right? 10, 15, 20% from year to year as the lease was up. How is it that people can afford this? I, I just don't I, don't, I don't get it. It's so expensive. You know, one of my um, business partners, he doesn't believe in, in home ownership. He's like a lot of the wealthy today. You know, I'm not going to buy a house if I'm moving around all the time. I'm not going to have it for more than three or four years. And I get the, I get it. You know, so he's been the last three or four years now, he's been in this one house in a really nice, nice neighborhood, beautiful neighborhood. But you know, the rent went up 22%, 23%. And so he doesn't want to lease up. He wants to find something else. But where are you going to go when that's, that's the norm right now? That's what's happening everywhere. That's happening everywhere. Unless you move out to, you know, rural whatever, you know, rural Georgia, rural Montana, <laughs> rural Iowa, rural Illinois, unless you move out to a rural area, you're going to have to deal with these this these increased values that are just absurd not that they don't deal with them out there but it's all relative right it's all relative you know so as you move forward in your real estate business if this is what you guys are doing as you move forward in your real estate business in your life your financial life in general you have got to think about investing if you're not investing right now you have got to bite the bullet, sacrifice the Starbucks coffees that you get, you know, every week, however many times a week. Sacrifice, you know, one meal out every week and create an investment portfolio for yourself, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, whether it's NFTs, whether it's cryptocurrency, you know, I don't care what it is, but you've got to take the chance. And taking the chance means educating yourself. You know, you just don't throw it in there because someone said this thing is doing really, really well right now. You may not have the tolerance for that thing, right? I'm telling you, that's a big thing. Like when I started in real estate, I had, I wanted to do um, single family rentals. I learned very rapidly uh, once I, <laughs> once I started to get them that I did not want to do that. And that had every every bit to do with how I was operating my business at the time as well, you know, so I was, you know, self-employed. I wasn't running a business. I was managing it myself. I was buying them. I was getting them fixed up. I was there all the time when they were fixing them. I was renting them out myself. I was collecting the rent myself. You know, I was proud to say, I own this house. This is mine. 
and only only to be taken advantage of by virtually ever every renter I had. But you know, and that was a lesson that I learned very early in my real estate career. You know, the very first thing I did then was I was now the employee of the company. I put some things in place until I could find affordable management, and I and I was the employee, and and I wasn't making the decisions for you to be evicted. It's not my it's not my decision. You know, it's the higher ups, and really that was for me. It was for them too, but it was for me as well because I I had a, I have a very soft heart, so it's really tough for me to to look at someone, a single mother, and, and who's behind on their on their rent two months and say, I, I gotta put you out. I gotta put you and your child out. That that's a tough call for me. You know, I definitely want to be in the driver's seat when that decision gets made. And that's one of the reasons that I lost a ton of money in, in the early years as a landlord. But now, you know, we have multifamily, we have single family portfolios, we do a lot different. We don't do a typical rental with our single families. We do lease options, which puts more responsibility on the quote unquote homeowner. And we do Airbnbs, you know, with those single families. So uh, it's not a typical rental space anymore. Although, you know, you still have to deal with repairs and this, that, and the other, but there are processes that you can put in place. Anyway, let me get off of what I'm doing and, and, and say what you guys should be thinking about doing. And that's investing investing real estate is going to be worth a ton of money in five years 10 years 20 years i'm not saying it's going to be worthless i'm simply saying that the bar is going to be so high that most people are not going to be able to get in as investors will people start from zero to to, to get to 100 absolutely it happens all the time i mean we see people come out of third world countries that make it however they make it i don't know what they had to do but they made it right and uh it's not many but it happens. And in, in the world that we're living in, in the America that we're living in today, all opportunities are still available to you. But those opportunities seem to be dwindling at a very, very rapid rate. And if we are to see ourselves and our children and our children's children in a place of financial security, financial security, financial security, generational wealth, we're gonna to have to start doing things differently today to make that happen. And it all starts with how you think, how you think about money, the decisions you make for your relationships, the, the, the decisions that you make when it's time to enjoy yourself. You know, are you going to nightclubs still? Are you drinking too much? Are you, um, are you just being excessive and you have responsibilities? You know, are you spending too much time and energy on enjoying yourself with the money you're making as opposed to investing that money so you can enjoy your future. Yes, you should have some fun in the present. I'm not saying don't do that. But what I am saying is be responsible in the present so that your future can be greater because it will be if you do that, right? It's not gonna be easy, but it's, ne it's necessary. So you have to focus, focus, focus on where you wanna go and take those steps every single day. Just take a, a little bit even when you're not motivated. See, the one thing I can tell you about motivation, motivation doesn't like consistency, right? So even when you're feeling unmotivated, you don't wanna get out of the bed, you don't wanna make the call, you don't wanna do this, just do a couple things, one, two, three things throughout the day that you know you have to do, even if they're just small things, but those things 
are helping you mentally be consistent. And that consistency will beat out everything else. That procrastination, that fear, all that is gonna fall to the wayside. You're gonna have your moments, we all do. We all have self-doubt, we all suffer from that at any given time. Am I good enough? Can this really happen? Am I, am I overstepping you know, my ability? Is my ambition outweighing my ability? I mean, I can't, I don't know anyone who hasn't had that thought about themselves, but guess what? That's normal. It doesn't mean you're weak or less than. Those are normal thoughts and feelings to have, especially when you're at a pressure point, when you're at a, a place where the decisions that you're making can and will affect not only the rest of your life, but your immediate family, your children, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mother, your father, whoever it is you're responsible for. Those big decisions can be very, very scary, and they do come with doubt, self-doubt but you have to make sure that that stays a momentary thing. And when you have those conversations with yourself, because of course that's where it starts, you need to tell yourself, hey, I can do this. You need to reach out to the people that you trust. If you have a coach or a mentor or a best friend, someone who's, who is emotionally <laughs> available and, or, or able, let's say, to, to understand exactly what it is you're going through because they've been there. And again, you'll continue to have those questions about yourself. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when if you've, you've made it, whatever that is for you, right? Even if you've made it, problems don't go away. You just have a different set of them. You know, it's just different. Everything is different. So you have to be aware of it. So listen, guys, I want to thank you so much, everyone, for spending this time with me. Uh, uh, whenever you hear me on here, please don't hesitate to just jump on, have a conversation, tell me what you like, what you don't like. I don't care if you disagree with me. I am open to discourse. I absolutely enjoy it. But for now, you guys, thank you so very much for your time. I really appreciate you. It is now time for me to go have a sandwich and get ready to write. Have a great day, you guys. And again, thank you so much for your time. Peace.